Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 493 with Anise Cavanaugh. Anise here is going to share how to create a bigger impact by being more present and intentional at work. So you'll learn one, the cost of contagious negative energy at work, two, the four P's to lead you away from burnout, and three, a leadership trifecta of impact, self-care, and people care. So if you want to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep493. Now, here's Anise's story. Anise Cavanaugh is devoted to helping people show up and bring their best selves to the table in order to create significant positive impact in their lives. She's the creator of the IEP method, which stands for Intentional Energetic Presence, and an advisor and thinking partner to leaders and organizations around the world. She's the author of Contagious Culture, and her next book is called Contagious You, Unlock Your Power to Influence, Lead, and Create the Impact You Want. Big thanks to Anise for sharing some time with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Anise. Anise, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you for having me, Pete. Now, first, I want to hear, you mentioned that you have an addiction for rescuing dogs. What's the story here? (laughs) I do. I have an addiction. I've got it under control, and I haven't rescued one in about five years now. And it used to start with goldfish. I would take my daughter in to get a goldfish, and they would be showcasing dogs from the Humane Society or from a local shelter. And before we knew it, instead of walking out with a goldfish, we would walk out with one or two dogs. I just had this amazing inability to say no to bringing home a homeless dog. So I've rescued five of them. What is that the, the Sarah McLaughlin song in that with the commercial and the sad looking <laughs> dogs? That's what I'm imagining right now. <laughs> Probably the last one. You know, it's funny. I'm down to one because they've either passed on or went with my my sister adopted one of them because she fell in love with him. But I'm down to my last puppy or my last dog. He's about 12 years old now and he's a little dog and I'm not really a little dog person, but he was, he gave me that look, that sad look. And I probably heard the Sarah McLaughlin song in the back. You know, I'm sure they probably channeled it in really unconsciously. So you adopt them even easier, but yeah, he came home with me. His name is Link and he's laying under the table right now. Link makes me think of the Nintendo game is, or is that from another source? No, that's exactly it. Nice, oh, cool. nice catch. Yes. Legend of Zelda, correct? Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. My kids named him. My kids said, Mom, he was rescued by the princess and became a very good person. So he should be named Link. And I was like, okay, you had me at 
hello with that one. Oh, yeah. If, if you're the princess in the story, that's nice. Right? right? <laughs> I got to, I got to the, the queen. I got to be the princess of the queen. I can't really remember. It was quite a while ago, but yeah, he, he's been great. Oh, cool. Well, I'm excited to dig into some of your wisdom here. And, and so you've got a column called Showing Up on Inc.com. And, and we're going to use this phrase, I think, a lot. So it might be handy if we define it. <laughs> what, what do you mean by show up? Now, when you say show up, I'm imagining, you know, hey, I've got an appointment at 2.30 and mm-hmm. then the, the person appears at 2.30. So they have, mm-hmm. they have shown up. And so mm-hmm. it sounds like you're using a, a different usage. Well, I think that's definitely important. I would add to that if I show up on time for my 2.30 meeting, that's great. And am I showing up present? Am I showing up well-fueled or am I exhausted? Am I sh- like, what is the energy I'm actually bringing to that in the way that I'm showing up? Are we showing up in a way that creates more energy and is positively contagious? Or are we showing up in a way that is going through the emotions? And so what does it mean to not show up? The contrast, the distinction. I love this question. I don't think anybody's ever asked it to me this way. Okay. So if I've not shown up, it means I'm not taking care of myself. It means I haven't done my preparation for whatever meeting I'm walking into. It means that when I want to say something and I'm sitting in that meeting and I have an idea or I really want to chime in about something and I don't because I'm scared, that means I'm not showing up. I I think for me in the work that I do with people, when I look at showing up, the biggest place I see people don't show up is in their own self-care and nourishment so that they can show up fully resourced. So it sounds like showing up then is sort of like your preparedness and contribution. It's like what you have to offer presently within you. And so you might have plenty or you might have sort of a poverty. Yeah, I I think that's fair. I think it's also showing up in that moment. If I'm in conversation with you, Pete, if you and I are standing there, we're in a meeting or we're in this conversation right now, there's the showing up that I did before, which is to review, to think about some of the questions or to think about this conversation. I'm well fueled. I've eaten well. I took care of myself beforehand. I had a moment to do kind of a presence reboot and just get here and present to this conversation. What is the energy I'm bringing to this conversation? Cause you and I could have this conversation and I could be incredibly not present. I could be totally checked out. I could be thinking about what I'm going to do right after we talk. I could be stressing out about something that happened right before we got on the call. Am I actually here present intentional and really being with you in this conversation? Well, I guess what's interesting here is that the word showing up seems to have a couple different uh, yeah. dimensions there in terms yeah. of physically being yeah. present, like yeah. you have appeared at the at the scheduled time, as well as having more to contribute because mm. you're you're energized, you're you're prepared, you're present, as opposed to I guess maybe the opposite as I think about it would be sort of like like you're checked out, like you're you're yeah. not really all the way there, and it, it's sort of like when I was in grade school, I was so annoyed with people would say Earth <laughs> Peter, oh, hello, is there <laughs> right. anybody there? Right, it was like yeah. oh my gosh, that's annoying. But but it's it's kind of like <laughs> anything you do that is the opposite of <laughs> warranting that. That response yeah. kind of would fall into the category of showing up, it sounds like. Yeah. And I love it how we're pulling this apart. So with, with that present and, and established, you also talk about b- being a contagious you or establishing a contagious culture. Uh, what do you mean by contagious and, and what makes uh, something contagious? 
Okay, great. So contagious, if you look it up in the dictionary, it's the, um, there's two different definitions. If you go textbook in the dictionary, one is, you know, contagious being that you're spreading disease or something from person to person. The other is actually spreading the contagion of emotions and attitudes from person to person. So I look at it kind of as both because I look at if we are bringing negative vibes, negative intentions, negative energy into a conversation, it's very, very easy to match like what I call the lowest vibration in the room. It's very easy to match each other's emotions. And so there is a way that in any interaction we're in, we are contagious. Anybody listening to this can, has had the experience of walking into a room, you know, maybe it's a meeting and they're feeling really, really good and they're excited to be there and they walk in and they sit down and within about a minute or two, they start to notice that the energy of the room is dipping. And if they look around, a lot of times it's that one guy in the corner. I always call them George or Georgette. Uh, it's that one person in the corner who their energy is just really low. They're sitting there, their arms are crossed. It just, maybe they're complaining, you know, whatever it might be. And typically speaking, it's easier to match the lowest vibration in the room. It's easier to catch it. So this whole idea of contagious is that we walk around emoting and putting energy out into the world and whatever we're putting out there, it is very easy for us to either have other people catch it or for us to catch other people's stuff. So that's where we're contagious. Yes. Remember we had Michelle Gielen on, on the show some time ago talking about broadcasting happiness and how oh. there's all sorts of science associated with how that unfolds. Could you maybe share with us some of the, the surprising or fascinating discovery you've made in, in the research here? Yeah. So, okay, great. So with Contagious Culture, that was the first book that I wrote, which was about basically how everybody thinks that culture is happening around us. It's everybody else's, you know, the executives create the culture, everybody else creates a culture. But what I found in that book was that actually every single one of us is creating the culture by how we're showing up just in what we've been talking about here. When I moved into Contagious You, I took it even deeper and I really wanted to explore the science. So I actually had a, a neuroscientist work with me on the, uh, chapter eight, which is called the science of showing up. And we dug into like what's actually happening. So for example, we see there was a study done at Princeton. When we see another person, we decide within a tenth of a second if we like them, if we think they're trustworthy, if they're competent, how aggressive they are, like all these different things that we're sorting for within a tenth of a second, just based upon what's happening in our brain and our intuition. So that was one thing I thought was interesting. The other piece, what's actually happening with mirror neurons when we're seeing people and how we're responding to what they're projecting, how we decide to take that on or not take that on. So there's a lot that I went into in that. Yeah. All right. So I'm curious that in terms of, of the, the practical beneficial application of some of this, could you maybe give us a, a story or, or a case study of how, you know, someone sort of grabbed onto these principles and, and had a cool transformation? I think the first one that comes to mind was a person I worked with. He was super, super smart, very, very good at his job, incredibly talented, but he was having a hard time with trust and credibility with the team. He was just having a hard time motivating his team. But basically he was confused because he wanted to move in his career, but he couldn't, you know, and he was doing everything quote unquote right but what it really boiled down to was his presence and how he was showing up with the team. So things that we found were he had a pretty strong lack of what I call personal impeccability, which is our relationship with ourselves, which means how we are in terms of time integrity. You know, so for example, with this guy, what I noticed is he would show up late for every single meeting we had, you know, so here's this really, really brilliant guy, super nice, doing a good job, works for a really cool company. 
every single conversation that we have, he shows up about two to four minutes late. So that's one leak in impeccability. And what I look at as leadership credibility, that even though that two to four minutes might not seem like a big deal, it is creating an impact for the people that we're in relationship with. Uh, the other thing that was happening for him is that he was using language that wasn't very, very strong language. So he would use words like try and hope and have to. And he was really, really big on using busy, the word busy. You know, he would always talk about, well, I'm so busy. And he'd get on a call and he'd go, oh gosh, well, I'm just so busy. And, you know, he'd walk into his team and, oh God, I'm so busy. And I'm, you know, I'm late because I'm so busy and all this stuff. And so that, even though these are like little, little things in the bigger picture, no matter how great his skills were or his abilities, the way that he was showing up, the language that he was using, and then his lack of internal integrity with himself, that was getting communicated in a way that people weren't trusting him. And so this was the problem with his team. Now you say internal integrity with himself. What do you mean there? Well, internal integrity. So for example, if I say that I want to be a really good leader and I want to build trust with my team, and then I'm late to every meeting and I make excuses for it, there's a way that my integrity is out of alignment. If I say that I want to take really good care of myself and I want to show up strong and solid and present, but then I go home and I don't take care of my body and I eat bad food and I don't spend any time setting my intentions or really thinking about what I want to create that day, there's a way that I'm not what I say is important to me and how I'm actually showing up with myself is not in alignment. And so there's a breach in internal integrity. All right. Gotcha. Well, well so then uh, I'm intrigued that we talk about these, these intentions and, yeah. and the energy that you've got there. You have the phrase intentional energetic presence as something that we should strive to convey. And what is this? Okay, great. So intentional energetic presence is uh, exactly what it sounds like. It's being intentional about the energetic presence I bring to everything I do. So whether I am having a conversation with you, whether I am talking to a room of a thousand people, whether I'm meeting with my team, my boss, whether I'm talking to my teenager, whether I'm doing the dishes, there is always, there's an energetic presence that I bring to everything I do. And that energetic presence is either going to be something that is life-giving and inspiring. And what I think of as expansive feels good to be around or it's going to be contracting and heavier and not inspired. I think of it as like soul sucking. And so we have a choice and every room that we walk into every conversation, there is an energetic presence we bring. So setting an intention and being even conscious of the fact that our presence has impact and how we show up in every moment matters. That in itself, I find is about 70% of the battle is just knowing it. The other 30% is what do you actually do with it? So that's intentional energetic presence. And then if you break those three words down, you've got your intention, which is what you want to have happen. So I'm basically claiming this is what I want to have happen in this conversation or project or whatever. There's energy, which is the energy and stamina I have to actually make that thing happen. And then there's my presence, which is how am I showing up and how present am I with the people when we're actually making this happen? And you put those things together and you're more likely to get your intended result. Well, within these three areas, then, are there some mm -hmm. ways that people often fall short and, and how you recommend we rectify that? Great. Yes. So the place that we most often fall short is we get so busy, we forget that this is even at play. I think that the number one killer of presence and also trust and credibility right now is the lack of presence that we have with each other because we move so quickly and we forget 
that we are bringing an energetic presence to everything that we do. So I think that just being aware of it and taking a moment before any conversation and just going, okay, my presence has impact. How do I want to show up right now? That in itself has me come to a moment of presence and it has me get out of my quote unquote busyness so I can actually see what's here. Okay, cool. And so do you have any particular tactics or approaches you recommend that we we do in order to, to make that happen more often. One is just having that moment of thought in advance. Uh, what else? Well, there's an entire methodology around it. So I created, so with intentional energetic presence, I created what I call the IEP method. And so the methodology is three parts. And the first part is being able to reboot your presence in the moment, which is what we just talked about. The second part is building a strong energetic field and foundation, which has everything to do with the food that you're putting in your body. I mean, the hot dog and the craft beer that you had last night could be having an impact on your ability to show up really well this morning at your nine o'clock meeting. So being really conscious about how food impacts you, conscious about how your environment impacts you, conscious about how the people that you hang out with impact you. Like this is part of building our strong field. And I have, I have some tactics I can give you for that. And the third component of the IEP method is the ability to create intentional impacts. There actually is a five-step framework that if you plug yourself into this, if you get clear about the impact that you want to have and you plug yourself into your five-step framework, your next meeting or next conversation can be very, very different. So do you want the framework? Would that help as a tactic? Well, I guess I'd love to hear in terms of the bringing the strong energy for starters, uh, yeah. what are, are some of the the biggest drivers or sort of high impact levers we can move with regard to the food, the environment, the people, so that we've got more energy there. Mm, mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So this is the thing I always invite people to do. I invite you to look at, first of all, getting still and looking at how does your physical body feel? I always invite people to do what I call an energy check where I go, all right, zero to 10, zero being you're absolutely exhausted, 10 being you feel amazing physically, give yourself a rating and then they'll give a rating. If anybody listening to this does that, the next question is, what is the littlest thing your body needs right now in order to bring its physical energy up? And if we stop and get still and listen to ourselves, our body will tell us. And this is usually where we're going to hear, you know what? I need to get more sleep, which is huge. It's going to be, you know what? I really need some good protein and some spinach, or I need you to feed me better. I need more hydration. Our bodies will talk to us, but we have to have that awareness first. So I always have people, I never tell people like, don't eat sugar or don't eat gluten, or here's how you're going to do it. I'm not a nutritionist. What I do invite them to do is to really look at how are you eating? How are you sleeping? How are you exercising? And are you meditating by the way? And does the way that you eat and take care of yourself, does it set you up so that your physical energy feels as strong and robust as possible? And the number one thing I hear from people, Pete, is people go, gosh, I wasn't even aware that I was at a two because I've been running around so quickly, I just ha didn't have my attention on it. You know, I wasn't really aware that I was this exhausted or what I needed until I started asking myself these questions. And then once I started asking myself these questions and being in partnership with my body, that changes my relationship. And now I start to feel better. And then I realize that there's even more I can be doing. So it's, it, it, again, it comes back to that awareness. And how about the environment side of things? Ooh. All right. So environment, I always like to have people look at their home and their pantry first. So if you tell me that you want to feel really fantastic, and then you invite me over for dinner tonight and I come over and there's nothing but ho-hos and donuts and processed food in your pantry, there's a way that your environment is not supporting you. So I always invite people to look at their home base first and what is feeling good to them. You know, what 
their closets are a big one. I can't tell you how many people like leave sessions or conversations and go home and clean out their closets because every single thing in our environment is either causing contraction and it's taking energy to even be in it, or it's creating expansion where it feels really good. So common things, pantry, your kitchen, your closet, your car, what you're wearing. Uh, when it gets to the office, it's your calendar. It's your office space. It's when you look at your calendar, is it full of a million different colors and back to back to back and your meetings are nine to 10 to 10 to 11 to 11 to 12. Well, if that's true, then most likely that is an environmental component of something that you are surrounding yourself with that is not energizing and it's not setting yourself up to be the best leader possible. So instead you want to start looking at, okay, what are some of the things I can do? So for example, with the calendar, I always suggest to people, well, take those hour long meetings, make them into 45 or fifties, cause you're not going to miss those five or 10 minutes or those, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, make them into shorter. So you have 10 minutes in between to reboot, take care of yourself, set your intentions for your next meeting, and then go in fully resourced. So little things like that. You're, I remember I was working with a group once and one of the people that was in the session was a deputy in the jail, the local jail. And he said, you know, gosh, Anise, my environment, I have no control over my environment, you know, and I know people travel and all these different things. So he said, I have no control over my environment. I said, well, what's the littlest thing that you can do to make your environment feel more life-giving and energizing? And the guy ended up taking flowers in to put on his desk in his cubicle in the jail. And he said that made a difference for him. So it's looking at anything in your environment that does not make you feel expansive and good and doing the little thing you can to make it feel a little bit better. I have all sorts of tricks there. Well, and, and I'm intrigued. But, well, yes, let's do our support. We got the flowers. What else? So when I travel, I don't have a lot of control of my environment. So it becomes my job to make sure that I do everything I can to set myself up for success. So proactively, I will look at the hotel and try and make sure that it's got, you know, a place to work out, that it looks like it's clean, that, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'll have my room be far away from the elevator because I'm super sensitive to noise, little things like that. But when I get there, like, let's say I go in, I can't control the clock, you know, the carpet or the aesthetics. So the little thing I might do is I might run to the grocery store and grab flowers for the room. Or I will most often, if I'm traveling for more than two or three days, I will go and I'll get groceries or have them delivered so that I actually have food on site to support me versus being tied to fast food or the restaurant food or something I'm not gonna be able to control as much. So little things like that. I also want to get your take when you've got these 10 to 15 minute breaks in between things, what are your top things that you or or clients find valuable to do to be amazing for the next session? Yeah. So I love to use those 10 to 15 minutes to one. I use the first part to close out any thoughts or write any notes or send any quick emails that are directly related to the meeting I just had before me. Because what happens is I want to free up my mental energy as much as possible. Let's just say I've just had this great meeting. You and I have a meeting. We're 45 minutes in. It's time to take a break. I know myself well enough now that if I go away from that and I leave things open, it's going to be harder for me to get back into it. So I'll spend a couple minutes during that break to go ahead and close any loose ends. Then people, myself, will often go use the bathroom, do a quick presence reboot, stretch, do something that will 
something that will support them in getting ready for the next meeting and then set their actual intentions or look at what I call, we have a thing called the IEP sheet, which basically has the entire methodology on it and they'll fill it out or they'll review it before their next meeting so that they're connected to what they're walking into in the next hour. And so close out the last meeting, use the bathroom, take care of yourself and set your intentions for the next. And if you don't have time to do all that, just reboot. And, and rebooting consists of, of what? Oh, great. Rebooting is just take a deep breath. Notice where you're at. It's just getting still in this moment and just going, okay, whoa, I'm here. I'm out of the meeting. I'm present right here, getting into my body. So take a deep breath. Notice where you're at. You know, you notice what do you need right now to show up for your next meeting? You do whatever you need to do to take care of it. And then you just step into the next level of presence that you want to be in. All right. So can you give us some examples of, of articulating those intentions? Oh, sure. So, all right. So I'm good. Well, let me give you the five steps. because I think that will put this all together really well. The five steps are the five steps to intentional impact. So the first step is I want to set my intention for what outcomes I want to create in this meeting. So what outcomes do I want to create? So let's just say, for example, let's say for you and I today, Pete. So outcomes for today, I want to have a very honest and organic conversation. So that's an outcome. I want people to understand intentional energetic presence and that their presence has impact. That's an outcome. Maybe you and I are working on a business deal. So an outcome might be that we have an agreement for our next steps by the end of this meeting. So two to three tangible things that are going to happen as a result of that meeting. So those are your outcomes. The second thing you want to set intentions around is emotional impact. So how do you want the people in your meeting to feel? So for me, my intentions, and it can vary from meeting to meeting, but they're usually like, well, I want people to feel safe. I want them to feel connected. I want them to feel curious. I want them to feel inspired. I want them to feel maybe I'm doing a sales meeting and I really want people to feel, you know, super, super hungry by the end of the meeting to go out there and perform and really push this month's numbers more. So I want to set my intentions for what is the emotion I want to create in that intention is also how do I want to feel? And so there's, I find there's great value in setting an intention, you know, and an example of intention for me would be, I always want to feel really well used. Like at the end of a conversation, at the end of a meeting, I want to feel like I gave it a hundred percent and I really showed up. So that's an intention for how I want to feel in that meeting. The third step of that is then how are you going to have to show up? In order to do that, well, you probably have to show up present in command. This could be like what you're going to wear to the meeting. Are you tracking with me so far? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, good. Uh, you know, show up. This could be curious. If I'm going to give a feedback conversation or maybe I'm getting feedback, I want to open. So I want to set an intention for how do I want to show up? I want to trustworthy. I'm listening. I want to show up as prepared. Just claiming this before I go into the meeting sets me up to start creating that outcome. And then after that, you've got two more steps, which are really simple, which is if I'm going to show up that way, what do I have to believe? You know, what do I have to believe about this person? What do I have to believe about the product we're talking about? What do I have to believe about the customer? What do I have to believe about myself? Sometimes when people are going in, for example, for a job interview, they do their five steps. You know, they've set their outcomes. They've set their emotional impact. They've set how they need to show up. They get to beliefs and they go, oh gosh, what do I have to believe? Well, a very useful belief going into a job interview or networking or a sales call is I believe I'm the right person for this job. I believe that I will do a phenomenal job here. I believe that if I'm giving someone feedback, I believe that this person is a human being who 
deserve to have really honest feedback, you know? So it's just really getting clear about what am I going to have to believe in order to show up congruently in a way that helps me create the emotional impact I want. And then in the way that helps me create those outcomes. And then the fifth step is just, what do you do? Which is actually at the end of it, it's the simplest part. It's like, what am I actually going to have to do during that, you know, before, during, and after that meeting. So for you and I, before prepare, review what you sent me during, be with you, answer your questions, as honestly and thoughtfully as I possibly can and after any follow-up that we need to do. Okay, cool. Thank you. And so if the energy is kind of low, you know, over Mm -hmm. time after time after time, and and you've got some burnout going on, what do you recommend we do there? Great. So if your energy is low, so is your energy low and you're burnt out or is your energy low just in the moment? Let's talk about more of the, the chronic situation since I think we talked about some of the moments. Okay. So at chronic, what I find is there's seven P's to burnout and I won't go through all the P's, but there's four that if you can address these four and start paying attention to these and reboot with these four, these can help us move out of burnout. Cause here's what I find with burnout. I don't know about you, but I know people who work 60, 70 hours a week. They do a ton. People don't know how they get it all done and they're moving a million miles a minute yet. They feel great. They have a ton of energy and they're not complaining about being burnout. They actually feel fantastic. Then I know people who are work 40 or less hours a week, go to yoga every day. Maybe they work nine to five, but they're totally burnout. Have you seen that? Oh yeah. Yeah. So most often people talk about burnout as being something related to, you know, like you're working too much or you're burning the candle at both ends, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, absolutely. These things definitely come into play. But what I found after doing this work for the last 20 years is that in my mind, burnout comes from the disconnection from one of the four P's and the P's are presence and pausing. So building these in proactively will help us avoid burnout. But if you're finding yourself in a place of burnout, that is an invitation to stop, get present to what's really going on, to take a big pause in your life or in your day or in your week or wherever you might be, and to just get still to see what's actually going on. So I believe that we have to build in these pauses proactively, but a lot of times we don't do that. And so when we catch it, the moment we start to feel burnout, that's our opportunity to start building that in more consciously. And I can talk about that if you want. The second part is the connection to purpose. A huge thing that I see for people, why they burn out is they forget about why they're doing the work that they began doing in the first place. They forget about why they're doing it, what's important to them about it. They forget about who it's impacting the people that they're actually impacting. They just lose touch because they get so busy and overwhelmed with everything else that's going on. So if you can reconnect to purpose and what is truly, truly important to you about the work that you're doing, then that I find will often help people reboot out of burnout. And sometimes I find we can outgrow our purpose. Our purpose has to grow with us. So sometimes somebody might've been totally on purpose And they're doing great in their role. And then all of a sudden they start feeling burnout. And when they really dig in deep, they pause, they get present and they look into their purpose. They realize, oh, wow, you know, actually I want to be doing something bigger. I want to shift my focus in my career. So that's purpose. There's people, which is staying connected to the people that you serve and remembering that you have your people that support you too. So it's asking for help. And the fourth P is staying connected to pleasure, play, and also giving yourself full permission for pain. So those are your P's. Let's hear about the permission for pain. What's this? Okay. So for permission for pain. So I find it's really easy for 
we human beings to move through stuff really, really quickly. And something happens, and I see this all the time, something happens, somebody gets really angry, or they get their feelings hurt, or something really hard has just happened. You know, they've had a loss, something huge. And it's what I notice is it's very easy for people to go, oh, you know what? I don't have time to deal with that right now. Or, you know, what? I'm a leader. I can't be angry about this. You know, I got to be, I got to have it all buttoned up or whatever. And so they don't allow themselves full permission for pain. They don't allow themselves to actually have the experience and then to get the support around it. And what happens is if we continue to avoid actually engaging with our pain and getting support around it and healing it, then it tends to mount up and then we it comes out in really odd ways or at worst, it comes out in something odd and even more severe. At best, it just means we don't have full access to ourselves. So if I don't allow myself pain, I also don't have full access to my pleasure. So it's allowing full permission to be wherever I'm at and to take care of myself and get the support I need so I can manage it responsibly. Yeah, we had a Dr. Sean Jones on the show talking about how this could be difficult for physicians in particular. Mm. It's mm -hmm. like somebody died. Well, that is painful and difficult, yeah. but there's no time. It's on to the next surgery. Exactly. And, and so, and that could really take a toll. And, and that's what his research is suggesting. You know, that is one of the, the big drivers associated with physician burnout is oh, that there's a whole lot of time demands and urgency and rushing and not a whole lot of opportunity to process some of the pain going on. Oh, absolutely. I, I do a lot of work with healthcare and I will say that actually working with that industry and with physicians in particular really helped me hone in the P's for this particular book, because that was one of the things I saw was the cruising over of pain. And also just generally, culturally speaking, I see this in any organization I go into this cruising over of pain because people are so busy or they feel like they don't have the permission or they don't have the time or space or whatever it might be to actually really dig in and get support. And by support, I mean things like working with their EAP, their employee assistance program, or working with a therapist or whatever it might be to really honor their own mental health and well-being as well. So the, the pain thing is, the pain is important. Well, these tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. No, I think one thing that is worth thinking about is just this whole idea around the leadership trifecta there's a trifecta and I find that all of us tend to fall into this in some way, shape or form. And what I find is when we have awareness around it, then we can start to shift it. And what I found years ago is that there were three different kinds of leaders that would come to me for support in this work around presence, their leadership, creating a healthier culture, et cetera, et cetera. And the first leader was the person who had, uh, let's see, a tremendous amount of impact, really great at what they did, great at their skills. Maybe they have a ton of degrees. They're making a ton of money for the company and they're great, except for they were exhausted, they're burnout, their relationships are falling apart, their health is falling apart. And so that leader has got the impact part of the trifecta down, but they did not have the self-care component. And so what that means is that you've got an unsustainable model because now you've got a ton of impact, but you're burnout. So that doesn't work. Then I found that there was a second kind of leader that would come less frequently. These are actually very, very rare, but this is the one who's got phenomenal self-care works nine to five. Everybody likes them. They eat really well. They're super, their self-care is on point. However, they were completely ineffective at actually getting anything done or creating impact and holding the line around solid leadership skills to help them be impactful. So in that case, they've got the self-care piece, but they don't have impact. But then I found there was a third person 
that great impact, great self-care. However, they left dead bodies everywhere they went, you know, so they were having the impact they wanted to have. They were taking care of themselves, but they were doing it at the expense of the people that worked with them and followed them. And in that case, that person is missing the people component of the trifecta. So people being the ability to meet people where they're at, the ability to make people feel seen and cared for and heard, the ability to coach and champion others. And so I just want to offer that part is that component is that there's these three pieces that I think it's really important for us to tend to in order to be as positively contagious and contributorily contagious as possible, which is impact, self-care, and the people piece. And I find, Pete, that most of us have two of them down pretty well, and there's always one that's an Achilles heel. And so it's not about having all three of them perfect. It's just about being aware of it and then giving that third one a little bit extra TLC so that we can really show up and do our best in the world. All right. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Oh, yes. So my favorite quote of all times came to me from a mentor years ago. Uh, His name is Chris Wallace. And he said, people will tell you you're great. And people will tell you you are terrible and that you suck and believe none of them. Mm, Thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I'm really digging the one about the uh, first impression right now. That's just because it's so fresh in my mind from um, edits for this book right now. But I'm really digging the the one about the you know one tenth of a second and what happens, how quickly we make decisions about people. I like that one right now. And how about a favorite book? Let's see. My favorite book, I would say Ignore Everybody by Hugh McCloy. I'm liking that one right now. Oh, yeah. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Todoist, the app Todoist. And a favorite habit? My morning ritual. And what does that consist of? My morning ritual, my alarm clock goes off at 5.30. I spend nine minutes. I use my snooze, but I don't go back to sleep. I spend nine minutes just waking up and getting present and thinking about how I feel about the day and also how I feel about anything I might have gone to sleep wondering about. I find that I do my best thinking when I'm asleep sometimes. So I spend my nine minutes. They're mine. I don't look at my phone. I don't nothing gets into my space. It's just my space. And then I get up and I grab my coffee and I set my intentions. I do my IEP sheet and then I'll either meditate or work out or journal or something. I mix it up. But those, it's basically that first 30 minutes of my day, no matter what is mine. And I find that it helps me really, really set the tone and claim my space. So it's my favorite habit. Well, I appreciate that you use the snooze button in a way that is excellent for you as most people use the snooze in a way that is shameful and (laughs) they wish they could break it. So, so kudos. (laughs) Well, so talk about studies. Have you seen the research on that, on what happens when we snooze? Let's hear it. When we snooze, we put ourselves into what they call sleep inertia. So every time, and I'm probably going to mess this up. So I'm going to apologize in advance. I got this. I learned about this from Mel Robbins book, the five second rule. And she talks about the snooze button. And so as I recall, the exact data is something to the effect of we go through 90 to 110 minute sleep cycles. And when the snooze button goes off, our brain wakes up. When the alarm goes off, our brain wakes up. If we hit snooze, it sends us back in and we go back to sleep. We go back into a 90 to 110 minute cycle. So the brain goes, cool, I'm going to get some sleep now. It sounds fantastic. Well, no, because now the alarm goes off again nine minutes later and it sends us into sleep inertia. And the sleep inertia is where we get brain fog. It's harder to wake up. 
we're fuzzy for the, it can take up to four hours to shake it off. We're fuzzy. Our decision-making isn't as good. So one of the things that she talks about, and I've heard this in other places as well, is like, if you're going to eliminate one thing from your day, if you have to eliminate one thing, get rid of the snooze button because the damage it is doing to your brain and your decision-making is actually quite significant. So yeah, I don't, I don't snooze. All right. And tell me, is there a particular nugget you share that you're, you're known for or people quote back to you often? Yeah. Your presence is your impact. It's presences are impact. That's the one that always surprises me that people tend to, when they start to really pay attention and they start to let this work and enter them or to, to start to embody it, the presence is our impact and that we get to set the tone. Like those are two of the core things that come up over and over and over again. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I'd point them. So if they go to IEP.io, IEP.io, they go there, they can sign in and they will get, we've got resource kits and presence kits and virtual toolkits. And we've got the IEP sheet that I mentioned earlier. So they can go ahead and download that. That'll give them a nice head start, kickstart on some of this content. And then I'm out there in social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook on at Anise Kavanaugh. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, I would say give yourself 10 minutes. Get just starting immediately. As soon as you hear this, give yourself 10 minutes in the morning. And if the morning is not your jam, 10 minutes during the day, at some point, 10 minutes to just get still get into your body to breathe and to start to set intentions about what you want to create, you know, whether it's a conversation with your kid, whether it's a meeting, like anything, just start getting intentional, what you want to create. Because if we can get in front of our days or in front of our meetings or whatever, I always hold that an ounce of proactiveness is worth 20 pounds of cleaning stuff up later. So that would be one. The other one would be to not complain for a week and see what happens, you know, to turn every single complaint into a request and see how that shifts the energy of your well-being, but also how it shifts how people respond to you. Those are two thoughts. All right, Anise. Well, thanks so much for this and, and good luck to you in all the ways that you're contagious. Oh, thanks, Pete. I really appreciated Anise's question in terms of what do I have to believe here? as well as the question from zero to 10, hey, what's the littlest thing I can do? Great ways to surface just the insight you need to make progress there. So again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep493. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push the subscribe button. If you do, you'll catch our next guest. It's Tara Swart. She has got a boatload of research about neuroscience and how it can impact our ability to learn and grow and be all the more awesome. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.